All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed clinician uh, specializing in OCD and anxiety. And uh, welcome to the show for any new listeners out there. For you return listeners, thank you all so much for coming back and uh, listening to yet another episode. So a lot has been going on in my life lately um, for any new listeners. Um, I am in the process of opening up my own private practice. I've been working with uh, practice um, uh, in, in LA and, and uh, Orange County for the past uh, six and a half years, but uh, a couple weeks ago, I decided that I'm going to open up my own practice, and I'm going to go out and uh, see how it goes on my own, uh, which comes with it a lot of excitement and a lot of terror. Uh, it comes with it my own um, uh, distorted thoughts, to use act language, uh, a lot of mental chatter is going on. Um, but, uh, I mean, positive and good chatter is going on. I'm getting a lot of encouragement from a lot of folks, uh, my colleagues, my family and friends. Um, uh, and uh, it, it's really, really exciting. So I've been spending a bonkers amount of time trying to write articles for, the, for, my, uh, uh, for my website that's up and running now. And um, not, not all the articles are quite done, but, uh, but they are coming soon. So uh, if anybody's interested in learning more about... Um, my new practice. You can visit the website. It's calocd.com, spelled C-A-L-O-C-D.com, and that's short for the California OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center. So uh, I'll be located in Fullerton, California, and um, but uh, I'll also be working online and um, uh, doing intensive outpatient treatment and individual stuff. So you know, it's just so much stuff to do, and uh, um, uh, unfortunately, I have uh, I've had to push off a, a little of the work that I would do on this podcast. So I do apologize to any listeners who um, were, were expecting an episode and uh, uh, came come Monday, you didn't have one, but uh, this Monday you shall. So for any new listeners, the FearCast is, my goal is to have it be a question and answer based podcast so that you, the listeners, can uh, uh, email me in questions about OCD and anxiety and all sorts of other stuff uh, that's on your mind, and uh, I will do my best to answer. Uh, I, I would like to say in a very succinct um, uh, fashion, uh, however, I have a nasty habit of just being, uh, I want to say verbose, but uh, I will also just say... Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I talk too damn much. So that's also a possibility. Um, this is what happens when it's late and everyone's asleep and I have a microphone and no one's stopping me. So here we go. I should also mention that uh, if you have a question about OCD and anxiety and uh, would like it aired on a future episode, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Go to the Ask a Question or Submit a Question link, uh, and you can ask it there. Um, I, I will read all the questions, and I'm more than happy to, uh, to review it for a future episode. So on to this one. Heather asks, Hi, Kevin. My OCD includes what I now know from reading online are, quote, cued panic attacks. These are different from regular panic attacks, which come on suddenly with no trigger. Mine are in response to feared situations that trigger my OCD. During these attacks, something in my environment, like a person who looks a certain way or is doing something unusual, puts my brain on alert and I feel that I'm in imminent danger and about to have something bad happen. It sometimes happens on planes, and I panic and put my head down and listen to music while my heart beats wildly. I cannot lift my head to look around, even though this is what I know I'm supposed to do from learning ERP. 
The putting my head down is a ritual, I know, but the situation feels so extremely real that I cannot bring myself to react in any other way. Any sound I hear outside of my music or sight I see, if I do dare to peek, is interpreted as another sign of the dangerous situation my brain feels is happening or will happen at any moment. For example, I will think the flight attendant looks scared or the sound of the seatbelt clicking is a hijacker getting up, stuff like that. Do you have any tips for me on handling this intense panic in a more helpful way? And why does my brain not learn the situation isn't real even though every time it turns out to be fine? Why am I drawn into the same panic again and again? Thanks so much. Heather, thank you so much for that question. That is a that is a great question and provides a lot of context, a lot of information. So thank you so much for it. Um, I am going to do my best to answer this question, um, and uh, I think this would actually be reasonable time to actually discuss panic attacks since we haven't done that just yet. And in addition to that, panic attacks, anxiety attacks, and uh, also panic disorder, and uh, kind of what all those things are, since uh, uh, the the FearCast is more than just an OCD podcast. It's all about just kind of general anxiety and all sorts of stuff that we can be nervous about. Panic is one of them. All right, so first, why don't we talk about panic attacks and anxiety attacks? So there's going to be some difference uh, or some discussion of the differences between these two things. In practicality, in my view, it really, really doesn't matter between uh, uh, trying to separate panic attacks from anxiety attacks. Um, Generally speaking, I'm going to go ahead and say that these are used synonymously and interchangeably for the vast majority of people. You will, if you're online, read some stuff about how panic attacks differ from anxiety attacks. And ultimately, the difference really is just in the severity and, and quality of the uh, of the symptoms themselves as they're showing up. Panic attacks and anxiety attacks uh, and anxiety attacks, of course, are overwhelming spikes of anxiety, physical discomfort, and just kind of exaggerated thoughts about your health, about your safety, about the outcome, uh, about just kind of the situation that you're in. And as you mentioned, Heather, they can occur in kind of predictable places. They can show up just kind of out of nowhere. Um, they can uh, they can show up in for for just a very specific thing and not uh, not other events uh, that are similar to it. Um, so they they can really show up out of nowhere. But ultimately, panic attacks and anxiety attacks can be incredibly overwhelming, incredibly painful. And sometimes, and we'll discuss this in a little bit, if le- if left un- uh, unaddressed, panic, t- panic attacks and, and anxiety attacks can kind of graduate and mature into panic disorder, uh, which is a, a, a diagnosable disorder that, uh, that just like all the other stuff can certainly be treated, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. So as you pointed out, Heather, um, panic attacks and anxiety attacks can occur in some very specific locations. One of the things that makes panic attacks and anxiety attacks differ from kind of OCD and the phobias that we've been talking about uh, is is that panic attack and anxiety attack really focus on the the physical symptoms, not as much the feared thoughts that that we talked about. Yes, there are some feared thoughts that are associated with them, but but these kind of uh, attacks are really really characterized by the physical symptoms. And these are physical symptoms that a lot of people do have just across the board when we feel um, kind of general anxiety. These are, you know, 
anxious responses. This is the fight or flight stuff. Um, but they often happen all together. They happen and they feel very, very intense. Some of the symptoms for uh, for those of you out there can include chest pain, kind of like a, it can be a, a pressing inward. It can be almost like an explosive outward feeling. Um, dizziness. You can have elevated heart rate. So some people will hear their heartbeat kind of in, in their chest. They'll feel it like right in their ears. Um, some will describe muscle tension, just kind of like your hands cramping up or like your, your shoulders up in your ears. Numbness can happen. We can have shortness of breath. Um, we can have lightheadedness. Um, we can have uh, feeling suddenly really hot or feeling really cold. Um, kind of the tightness in our throat or like this this sensation of like a pressing like right right where your throat kind of or like where your neck meets your body, kind of like a pushing in there, a tightness there. Uh, some people feel stomach discomfort or nausea. Some people feel what I what I call stomach drops. It feels like your your stomach is just dropping out of your body. Um, uh, as some self-disclosure, I've, I've experienced panic attacks and anxiety attacks in the past. Um, and, and one of the things I get when I initially start getting one is, God, there's no good way to describe this, but I'm going to describe it how I feel it. It's almost like my skin is exhaling in a poof. It's the weirdest thing. It's It, it may be that my body is starting to sweat, but it's like a it's super weird, but that's what it feels like. Um, and it's I'll get those at, you know, every two or three minutes throughout the process. Um, and, and it sucks and it's uncomfortable. Um, even for some, there can be this, you know, uh, um, within that lightheadedness, almost uh, a brain fog. Uh, we kind of describe brain fog uh, a lot in depression, but um, uh, when you're in the middle of an anxiety attack or panic attack, it's kind of a combination of lightheadedness and dizziness at the same time for those of you who haven't had one. Uh, and for those of you who haven't, uh, congratulations, that sounds nice. So, um, so that would be something that, or that would be a lot of the symptoms that occur within an anxiety attack if we're splitting hairs with this. Now, something to know about these is that typically speaking, um, these usually peak. They get to their peak discomfort in about ten minutes, and they can, you know, they can last relative for a relatively short amount of time. But they can also last for, you know, up to several hours before they ultimately fade away. Now. When we start to get into panic attack range, it can include all of those same symptoms that I previously talked about, plus it can have the added bonus, and this is where the, the cognitive components really jump in. And you can kind of think about it as um, your body's experiencing all this fight or flight symptoms in your body, and, and there's a perception, or rather I'll say a misperception of danger in the situation that you're in. And again, sometimes if it's a, if it's a specific event or, or a, as you said, a cued event, you kind of go, oh, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of X. Now, sometimes they only show up out of nowhere. It's just, I don't know what's going on. Now, when it jumps into panic attack, it's that it's that our brain is kind of noticing the physical sensations that we have, that fight or flight, and is then trying to interpret what in the hell is happening to our body. Because um, again, this is what our, our giant prefrontal cortex, our giant human brain does, is it provides reason and context for why we're experiencing what it is that we're feeling. 
And under most circumstances, by the way, we love this feature of our brain. It helps us, uh, I, I, like, in a, it, it helps us make snap judgments. And again, those can be very, very safe for us. We want that when we are walking down the street and we see some shady character. We want to immediately know whether or not we're safe or whether or not, whether or not we're in danger. It's the same thought process that we have when we're driving, and our brain immediately responds to someone slamming on their brakes in front of us. We don't see that and go, I wonder if I should stop or if I should slow down. What if I should swerve out of the way? By, by then, you're already in that person's back seat. So, we like this feature of our brain. Now, when it gets to panic attack, the cognitive component jumps in. And that's where we, we can experience these thoughts of dying, that maybe we're dying. Um, this depersonalization uh, that you'll hear people describe, and it's this very amorphous, amorphously described thing that uh, I, I think it can best be described as, as seeing yourself outside. It's a, an out-of-body experience in a sense. It's almost like seeing your life in third person. Um in my experience, it's been, again, a combination of, uh, of dizziness, kind of lightheadedness, um, and sometimes a bit of numbness, um, but, uh, uh, but ultimately, that's kind of what's going on. Uh, lastly, another thing that can happen when it elevates into panic attack, in addition to fear of dying, is this fear of losing control or going crazy. And some of the, sometimes that thought for a lot of people is, uh, is very concrete. Oh no, this, these sensations are what it means to go nuts or to lose control. And that's oftentimes what influences people to start avoiding things, uh, specifically driving, but, but we'll certainly get into that. So, to continue on with a splitting hairs approach, we're getting, we can talk about the triggers that comes with the differences between anxiety attacks and panic attacks. Anxiety attacks usually tend to come from a very specific event, and it can come from uh, work stress or school stress or relationship stress, things like that. If we have some big changes in our life, oftentimes we can get a big sense of anxiety from that. Um, and again, these anxiety attacks can come uh, can kind of range in intensity from you know just kind of being mildly annoying, getting those those you know a couple of those minor symptoms. Um, and uh, I, I did find one article that referred to just having a few of the symptoms as a limited symptom panic attack. Um, now I tend to think that this the, the writer of this article I was just going over uh, doesn't um, split hairs between the two. Some articles that I did read talked about splitting hairs, but again, for all of us. It ultimately doesn't matter. It's a bunch of feelings that suck. For panic attacks, they often say that they they can sometimes come out of nowhere, um, and they and these generally have a very rapid onset. Anxiety attacks can sometimes um, build up and build up to kind of this this uh, lovely crescendo, uh, whereas uh, panic attacks they just kind of show up on the scene. Now, Heather, you were talking about cued panic attacks. So, um, for for those of you out there, and I, I hadn't necessarily heard of the term cued panic attack, so I had to look that up. Now, cued panic attack. The the after reading about it, this article says that it's a it, it's a it's it's a panic or anxiety attack uh, that has an obvious cue or trigger. So, obviously, it's cute. It's, it's a name. And it goes on to say. They occur when the person is exposed to certain situations or objects where panic attacks uh, had previously occurred. Um, now, uh, the the term that I'd often heard for this is is called situational specific panic attack. Uh, this is where someone does have panic attacks, but they incur in they occur in a very specific place. They occur. 
for for one reason. Um, And that was mine. I would get situational specific panic attacks and they sucked. Now, I would get them during tests and I got them specifically for my licensure tests. And um, I I, I remember going into my tests and you know feeling incredibly overwhelmingly anxious, and I would get this during um, kind of practice. I would get them during practice tests as well, and I would get you know I get that dizziness, I'd get that lightheadedness, I would kind of get a little bit nauseous, I'd certainly get those stomach drops, I got that stupid skin poof thing I was describing. They were really really uncomfortable, and what's so frustrating for me as an OCD and anxiety specialist is I'm in the middle of it going, oh my God, what's happening to me? And the other side of me is going, it's panic attack. You know what this is. You should not be surprised. And here's what you do. And I would describe all the stuff that I'm supposed to do for myself, and I would do those, but you know what? It doesn't make them disappear. We'll talk about that. Now, the cued panic the cued panic attacks differ from an uncued panic attack, and this is the one that just kind of comes out of the blue. It's just in, in the middle of nowhere. And I think to a certain degree, these are more associated with people who have panic disorder, where the anxiety really just seems to come out of nowhere. Um, but uh, this article actually then talks about how you know uh, uh, an uncued panic attack can sometimes happen as a result of just general stress in one's life, uh, but that anxiety kind of shows up or just kind of bubbles up to the surface and just kind of hits you in the middle of nowhere. Um, And for, you know, potentially for some predictable reason, sometimes not. Again, as I mentioned earlier on, panic attacks and anxiety attacks can can graduate to what's called panic disorder. Now, panic disorder is ultimately going to be an, a, a fear of the development of future panic attacks and anxiety attacks. You can think about it as um, a fear of fear. So it's that it's that somebody can think about their anxiety attacks and think about the the places that they go to or what you know what what it feels like to have these these um, situations happen, and they can bring on a panic attack by just by doing that, and these can happen more and more and more, and ultimately serve to limit somebody's life. And this is where what's uh, what something is called uh, agoraphobia shows up. Now, agoraphobia is, uh, it, it, so we can have, so the diagnosis is you can have a panic attack with agoraphobia or without agoraphobia. So, agoraphobia is literally means it's a fear of the marketplace. So, it's a, it's a, it, it, it rounds up to in our regular life is the fear of going outside or a fear of going outside of one's safe space, wherever that is. So, if you hear about people being homebound or, or, um, uh, kind of restricted to you know where, where wherever they are again it's typically their home or it sometimes can even just be as small as their room in so in your house um, it's going outside of the safe space blows up with this panic and uh, it can be again incredibly painful it can feel like you're dying um, and and this this ultimately causes and I, to a certain degree I'd say reasonably so leads someone to want to avoid feeling those feelings. Now, you've heard me talk about feelings. If anybody's listened to this show before, you've heard me talk about feelings. My confident stance on feelings is feelings are stupid. Now, nothing is more feelings are stupid than panic attacks and panic disorder, because it is this overwhelming sense of a feeling that both you and I know don't make any stinking sense. We can rationalize making sense out of who really want to, but then we also have this rational side of our brain that say, hey, these feelings don't make any stinking sense. And that is the part of our brain that you and I want to latch on to. 
Now, some people, just like with OCD, and this is why one of the thing, one of the reasons that we treat it as an anxiety disorder is that, just like with OCD, with compulsions to try to manage the anxiety that comes from the obsessional thought, people fall into these compulsive behaviors with panic attack, panic disorder, anxiety attacks, all those things. Now, agoraphobia is going to be the ultimate form of avoidance, just straight up not going outside. We can get into reassurance seeking, so asking people, hey, is, everything, is this going to be okay? Uh, we, can, we can ask other people, hey, am I having a heart attack or a panic attack? A lot of times, panic attacks or panic disorder specifically is first diagnosed in people is when they go to the hospital thinking that they are having a heart attack. They get to the, heart, they get to the hospital and they, they do all the tests and all that stuff, and the doctors come back and say, you're not having a cardiac event. And then they start talking about the stresses in your life or the things going on in your life right now. And that's oftentimes where people start to, again, hear their first diagnosis of, of uh, panic disorder, panic attacks, things like that. Another compulsion within panic and anxiety is um, a sense of ritual, a sense of doing the same thing in the same way. Because for a lot of us, we are creatures of habit. We like doing the same thing every, we like doing the same thing the same way. And there is safety in that. There's predictability in that. And we as people love that stuff. So we we try to get involved with these. But the problem is that that ultimately is, is us limiting our life and what we can and what we're willing to experience, which ultimately makes our world a little bit smaller. Now, some people also will get into what's called magical thinking, and this is kind of superstition sort of stuff in order to um, try to manage the anxiety, try to manage the onset of an attack, the length of the attack, things like that. This is where like magic... uh, um, rabbit's feet came in, or knocking on wood before a, a car trip, things like that. Another classic avoidance for some folks is going to be asking other people to drive for you. Um, so it might be just a refusal to drive long distances. I've worked with folks who just have kind of a three-mile radius from their house. They can kind of drive to predictable locations within three miles, but like once they go outside of that three-mile radius, the panic starts to creep up and they start to get the stomach drops and they their heart starts racing and their muscles start tensing up and they just refuse to go outside of this bubble unless someone is driving with them or someone is actually driving them. I've even had it happen where uh, someone can go outside of that bubble provided they're on the phone with somebody, but if they're not on the phone, it's not going to happen. Now, all of this is avoidance in a, in a, in a, a somewhat of a reasonable attempt. I, I'd say reasonable attempt to try to, you know, not think about the feeling. This is something that you and I would all want to do. It's a very human thing to not want to feel these awful feelings. To that point, some people who experience panic and anxiety will resort to drugs and alcohol as a desperate means to try to cope with the anxiety and to try to tamp that feeling down. Their feeling is, and they may even say, God, I hate doing drugs, I hate drinking, but they'll say, though I, though I, I hate it, it makes me feel a certain way, and while I don't like that feeling, man, it's not panic and anxiety. So, Heather, I hope you're not getting into that, but, you know, it's it's one of the things that some folks do. All right, so what can we do with treatment? Now, you've already mentioned one, and that's ERP, but of course, like with all things, it's going to be cognitive behavioral therapy, exposure and response prevention, and also acceptance and commitment therapy is going to be incredibly important for this stuff. So, with CBT, what we've talked about before, cognitive behavioral, it's how your thoughts impact your 
feelings. Now, what we can do with this, especially when it comes to panic, is that we can use our rational thought. Again, that think that big prefrontal cortex, the smart part of your brain, and we can think through the situation. What is actually occurring? What do we know about ourselves? What do we know about those feelings that we have? We can remind ourselves, you know what? These feelings are going to pass. They do. They peak in 10 minutes and they're going to come down maybe in 10 more minutes, maybe in an hour, maybe two, but they're going to come down and I can survive this. You don't die from panic attack things like that. So we can use our rational brain to walk ourselves through uh, a a situation. Now, obviously, this can become compulsive, but when it comes to anxiety and panic attack, using more of this rational thinking is actually really helpful, um, provided it gives you a grounding to then take that leap forward, to take those steps into what that fear is. Now, this is where exposure and response prevention comes in. Now, obviously, scripting is going to be incredibly important for this. Now, actually, let me take a step back. For those of you who don't know what exposure and response prevention is, this is an approach that fits really well into the behavioral piece of cognitive behavioral therapy. This is where we expose ourselves. We progressively get closer and closer to that thing which we fear while resisting doing things that will try to undermine, help us avoid, or try to neutralize that fear. This is the response prevention. So with panic, what we're trying to do is to progressively tiptoe closer towards the things that make us feel uncomfortable and scared. So for some, it might be going to school. For some, it might be Well, for you, Heather, it might be flying on an airplane. And I've absolutely worked with folks who get panic attacks on airplanes. And we do a lot of work on the front end, challenging the thoughts with cognitive uh, uh, cognitive therapy. But we eventually have to get our butts on the plane. And we'll do stuff by writing, like, for, for example, with the ERP, writing scripts about planes crashing, writing scripts about, you know, smoke in, smoke in the cabin and the, uh, uh, the masks fall down. Or maybe for you, it might be writing a script about seeing the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, flight attendants' faces and them looking really scared and, and them not really knowing what to do and maybe coming up and saying, ma'am, do, do you know what to do? Because I just can't think of anything and we're, we're in some real trouble here. Something to that effect. We, we write out these stories in first person and in present tense. And we then reread these stories in an, in an intentional attempt to make ourselves feel uncomfortable. And then through the repeated exposure to it, while resisting telling ourselves that everything's going to be okay, nothing bad's going to happen, or anything else that tries to undermine that feeling, we ultimately lead towards habituation to that feeling. The meaning, habituation is the fancy term for a progressive reduction of the physical anxiety that we have. Now, this is an expected uh, result. Rather, this is an expected result of ERP. Now, another thing that we do with exposures with for panic and anxiety is we do something called interoceptive exposures. These are a, a super weird way of saying exposing yourself to the physical sensations. As I mentioned earlier on, panic and anxiety is the epitome of feelings are stupid. What we're trying to do is get your, get yourself to be comfortable with the physical sensations, though they suck, though they feel bad. They in the in and of themselves are not bad, they just kind of feel bad. They're uncomfortable. So what we want to try to do is to expose ourselves to those sensations and to recognize that they are not the end of the world. And most importantly, 
you can live with them, you can survive them, and you can get through them. Now, again, with all of these uh, physical sensations that we previously talked about, chest pain, dizziness, elevated heart rate, we can do individual exposures in office for those things. And what I would encourage you, Heather, to do is to create a list of all the things, all the physical sensations that you feel when you get on an airplane. I'm picking on airplanes because you mentioned it specifically, and I love doing airplane exposures. So making a list of all those physical sensations that you can do. Now, for all of you listeners out there, I want to practice an interoceptive exposure with you. And the one that I think that we can all do, now, do not do this while you're driving. If you are doing something that requires your special attention. Do not do this because it's going to make you feel dizzy. And that's the point. So what we can do with this is we're going to intentionally bring on that dizzy feeling. Now, if you have a, uh, a chair that spins all the way around, you can get someone to spin you around a bunch and that's super fun for the other person. Not for you. It's going to suck for you. But what we can do if we're just by ourselves is what we can we can take our, our, our head and we can turn it as far left as we can. I'm trying to do this and get into the microphone at the same time. It's probably not working. So we're going to turn our head as far left as we can without it feeling incredibly painful. Don't, you know, be crazy about all this as far left as we can and then we're going to see how far we can go to the right now what we're going to do is we are going to move our head within that range back and forth back and forth as fast as we reasonably can and we're going to do it 20 times now i'm going to do it and you can do it too and i'm going to count to 20 so if you're just if you're on a run or if you're if you're doing a treadmill right now listening to this um you're going to hear me count so i apologize but if you want to do this with me what we're going to do is we're going to feel this dizzy feeling and we're going to tolerate the fact that it feels uncomfortable we're going to say I know this sucks. I know this is uncomfortable, but you know what? It's not the end of me, and I can feel this discomfort. Now, if you are unwilling to do this, if you want to try to just do the two, or if you're unwilling to do it at all, that's completely fine. This is entirely up to you. But if you want to be a real badass and face your fears and uh, punch anxiety in its stupid anxiety face, do it with me. All right, so I'm going to do it too. God, trust me, I hate doing these myself because they are uncomfortable. But here we go. Ready? All right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. It's dizzy. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Ah, okay. I am a little dizzy right now. It feels super weird. The room is kind of spinning a little bit. There's a, I'm sweating a little bit just because it's, I'm exerting this effort and we turn off the AC at night, but it's, it's slowly coming down. It's kind of, um, the, the intensity of the feeling is slowly coming down, but it's still kind of there. I feel like I'm moving slow. I don't really want to move my head very much right now. Now, if you did this exercise with, well, if you didn't do the exercise, I'm sure you're laughing at me, but if you did the exercise with me, notice those sensations. Notice what else is going on in your body. Does that feel weird? Is it as bad as you thought it was going to be? Is it, is it, is there something surprising about it? Now, if you were working with me in session, what I'd do is we'd, we would wait for this feeling to come down a little bit, and then we'd re-up, and we'd do it again, and then we'd wait for the feeling to come down, and then we'd do it again, and we'd be rating both dizziness and we'd be rating anxiety. So, you can work with a therapist on this stuff. Now, there are plenty of resources out there that will describe how to lead someone through these things. Uh, if you have a therapist, 
awesome if for any listeners out there you don't there are going to be some book resources on this specific to panic and anxiety that you can try to do but i really encourage you to do this with a therapist involved now again there you can do these sensations with the tight throat you can do it with the difficulty breathing you can do it with shortness of breath you can do it with numbness um, and they're all really really effective things now, to get to this place where you're willing to feel those feelings, you need to have a lot of willingness and need to have a lot of chutzpah to say, I'm going to do this thing that is really hard, but I'm going to freaking do it because I'm not going to let these stupid feelings get in the way of my life anymore. I don't want to feel this feeling anymore as much as I do, but more importantly, I don't want, and I'm going to go back and revisit that statement right there, but I don't want I want to go on airplanes, and I want to drive, and I want to go to work, and I want to spend time with other people, and I want to go to the store without being bogged down and overwhelmed by these feelings. Now, here's me revisiting. You and I cannot control the feelings that we have. We have talked about that a gazillion times. We can't force ourselves to not feel something, but we can we can learn that feelings aren't actually that bad. Now, from an exposure and response prevention perspective, we're going we're gonna to work towards bringing down the anxiety from an acceptance and commitment therapy approach, which is to acknowledge that, yeah, we sometimes we're going to get panic attacks. You, Heather, maybe someone who gets panic attacks, and that sucks. And if they never go away, I'm sorry. But you might be that person who just gets panic attacks. But remember, they're not the end of the world. You can survive them. So we can say, all right. I know that I get these, but I'm willing to experience them in order to have the life that I want. That's willingness, and that's commitment. And then what steps are you willing to take to go and do that? Now, by the way, you're doing that. You are doing that. By the fact that you are going out on airplanes right now is important, and it says that you want your life. Now, now let me get back to your question specifically. So you said, do you have any tips for me on handling this intense panic in a more helpful way. You said it yourself, Heather. When you are on an airplane, you look down. You don't want to look around. Instead, I would encourage you to look outward, to pull your head up, and in increasing amounts of time, look around and count to 10 and then put your head down and wait for the anxiety to come down. And then pull your head up and look around and look at people's faces for 12 seconds and then look down and wait for the anxiety to go down. And do this in an increasing in increasing amount of time, and you'll learn over time that you can tolerate that, and that the anxiety eventually starts to reduce, or, and, and it ought to. Um, and again, the, the, the goal with ACT isn't necessarily to have anxiety come down. While it's a fun side effect they'll talk about, the goal isn't for the anxiety to come down, but for you to say, F it, this is my life, and I'm going to do what I want, damn it, or whatever else you might say. So, engaging in exposures are going to be incredibly important for you. And in fact, I would say doing some more interoceptive exposures would be really helpful for you. And maybe even doing some more cognitive restructuring with your therapist. Again, look at some of the thoughts and interpretations you have about people's facial expressions. Specifically for flight, by the way, you can. Uh, there are programs out there just specifically designed for this. There's one in particular called SOAR. It's S-O-A-R. Um, it's, it's an acronym for something. But it's, it's run by a pilot who, um, who wanted to help folks get over their fear of flying. And it, it, it is very, 
at, at, at worst, you could say it's reassurance heavy. At best, you can say it's it's informative. And it talks a lot about, you know, what's the stuff that's going on in an airplane? What are the fear? What are the sounds? What are the, the procedures? Why is, why is this happening? What the hell is that object over there? Um, and, you know, in an emergency, here's what happens. Uh, and here, when a danger happens, you know, here's the procedures that they're all going to do. I mean, one thing that I learned about, uh, I, have a, I have a cousin who's a pilot, and I learned that, I mean, he'd been flying planes for decades, but he started working with another airline and he had a, um, he got on a new, a new type of airplane. He went to a different state to fly this plane and to be in classes and to study flying this for three months, eight hours a day, three months to learn this exact plane and he learned everything about it and by the way that is every pilot that's up in the sky it goes through that sort of stuff they know what they're doing there's a lot of procedures involved now by the way None of this necessarily takes our anxiety away, but it might give us a little bit of confidence to say, you know what, maybe it's not just an immediate death trap getting up in that flying tube of death. Maybe it's going to, maybe it might be okay. It might work out. Planes do fall out of the sky, but you know what? Not a lot of them do. And there are a lot of planes a lot of the time. There's a website that you can find. I love doing this. Um, it will show you every plane that's in the sky right now. And there's a good gaggle of them. There's a ton of airplanes in the sky right now. And that's just right now. It, it, not every plane is fall, fall, falling out of the sky. So, now you, you went on to say, or actually, let me, let me go back. Um, one thing that you can also do is to develop an emergency kit. Now, now, what is a, a personal emergency kit? Now, if you go back to past episodes, I did episode four on a personal emergency kit. This is going to be a pack of things that you carry on with you to an airplane. And again, this is specific to airplanes. If you're having panic attacks elsewhere, this might not apply. But have stuff with you and know your procedures of the stuff you're going to do. It might be super small. I love it. listening to music. Great. Listen to music. That's one thing. You can have um, a tablet full of movies. You can have books. You can have Sudoku, if people ever even still do that. Um, get a Tamagotchi. They're for sale again. If anyone's ever worried about getting a Tamagotchi and where they all went, you know where they are? They're in Target, and they're for clearance, but they're available, so there's that. Um, ha- you can have a bunch of stuff. Now, at the end of this uh, of this emergency kit, and provided you get a, di- a-, a prescription for this, you can have Xanax. Or you can have a- another medication. If you're a prescribed medication, do that. Now, don't take it from me. If you are interested in doing that, talk to your psychiatrist or talk to a doctor about medication. Uh, it's a tool. It's a tool just like your music is in this whole process to help. So, um, I encourage you to go back to episode four and, and listen to that and maybe think about what's going to work for you. So, I'd say that are some, that's some things that you can do to help. And furthermore, your other question was, and why does my brain not learn that the situation isn't even real though every time it turns out fine. Well, our brains have not really evolved yet to realize that we're flying. It's terrified. And we're, we're also, in a sense here, we're trying to bring logic, like a lot of logic to why we're feeling what we're feeling. It's again, feelings are stupid. They don't make sense. Or they don't have to make sense because they're feelings. One thing that you can do to help reinforce this, this learning process, and I, I actually talk a little bit about this, not to keep plugging stinking episodes, but it's to go back and listen to episode nine. I talk about in, the inhibitory learning model. And it's it's kind of a, it, it's a, it's not really a model of therapy in and of itself, but it's really a description 
description of why exposures work and some things that we can do to make exposures work better. A, a pivotal part of the inhibitory learning model is intentionally reflecting on that which we can learn about the situation. And it's reminding yourself of, of what has worked, how you survived, and that you did survive. And that your biggest fear didn't happen. It didn't mean that you didn't feel anxious. It meant that your biggest fear actually didn't happen. Now, we reinforce that, that fact uh, a number of times and repetitively. And after we, give an, after we do an exposure, um, we remind ourselves, you know what? I felt uncomfortable, but I did it and I can survive this. Reminding yourself of that can be really, really helpful. And even reminding yourself this before you eventually go flying again. Those are some things that can be helpful in terms of managing and, and trying to reinforce this learning process or build this up. And you said, why am I drawn into the same panic again and again? Again, it's, it's I mean, in short, I want to say, I, I don't know. I don't know why you, you continually have this. This might be something that, again, you, this might be the thorn in your side where you get panic attacks when you fly or you get panic attacks during other events. Now, why do I have panic attacks during standardized tests? I don't know for sure. I can come up with some logical things as to, or some reasonable things as to why it is that I might, but who who knows why? And why is it that I don't get I don't get that much anxiety when I do public speaking or when I when I do this ridiculous podcast? It's it's sometimes anxiety doesn't make any sense. But I would also say that perhaps another reason that you're having them again and again is that you are engaging in some avoidant behavior of not looking around. Now, this is not me trying to blame the victim, but I would say pushing into doing those exposures, and I know I've hit that nail really hard, but keep doing it and keep pushing into it. Over time, you'll either learn that you can survive this anxiety and that you can fly and feel uncomfortable and get to the end of flying and, and not lose your ever-loving mind, and or the anxiety will start to reduce. So for everybody else, I, I have three of my biggest tips for managing anxiety and managing uh, uh, panic attacks, um, in, in addition to a certain degree also panic disorder. But some of the three biggest things that we can do to help manage it. Number one is remember that the feeling will pass and that no one ever dies because of panic attack. Now, this sounds like such a simple thing, but reminding yourself that this feeling's going to pass. You're not going to feel like this forever. It sucks right now, but it's going to go away because it always has. You and I can feel any number of, uh, of of uncomfortable things, and we permit ourselves to do so. We allow ourselves to live in Southern California without air conditioning. That's uncomfortable. We allow our, ourselves to live in Alaska where it's cold and when it's dark half of the year. That's uncomfortable. We can do a lot of things. We can give ourselves permission to do a lot of things, and we can survive those. Even individually in the moment, we give ourselves permission to, to get a shot at the doctor. That's uncomfortable. I don't care who you are. It's a metal stick going through your skin into your body. It hurts. And I give blood a lot. And it hurts every single time. And they look at me going, oh, are you afraid of giving blood? No, I don't like needles going into my arm. I, I don't know how many times to tell them that. Uncomfortable things are uncomfortable, but that feeling and discomfort is momentary and it'll pass. All right, number two, refocus your attention outside of yourself. Now, Heather, you already said you already know that you need to do this, so I'm going to remind everybody. The biggest thing that you can do is to refocus back outside of yourself. Panic attack, panic disorder, anxiety attacks, it's so much of an inward focus on what our body is doing and feeling and judging why we're feeling that thing. 
and an unwillingness to feel that. Instead, we acknowledge, yeah, I'm having this feeling, but I'm going to focus outward. I'm going to focus outside of myself. And this can feel really scary because it feels like if we focus inside, I can somehow control this feeling. I can somehow tamp it down. I can somehow do something to make sure that I'm not feeling this anymore. That ain't going to work. Focusing outside of yourself, and this might be into a movie or into a book or into a conversation with a friend, and letting that anxiety naturally subside. Now, grounding is a, is a helpful exercise. Grounding um, is a way of, uh, of, structure, of structuring your thoughts to focus outward. One of the ways you can ground outwardly is you can focus on, you can describe all the shapes that you see. So, I'm looking at my computer. It's a square. I'm looking at my microphone. It's a, I don't know, a cylinder. Um, you can just, you know, it's, there's a triangle. Now, we can also describe colors. Well, I see red. I see brown. I see silver. I see white. I see black. I see green. Those are all outside of me. We can also describe textures that we see. I see nylon, I see wood, I see metal, I see plastic, I see glass, I see fabric. Um, We see a lot of things. This is one way that we can start to refocus outside of ourselves. So, step two, focus outside. Now, step three is, is think about this as patience perseveres. So, remember that this is anxiety and that you can ride this out. So, panic is an unwillingness to have anxiety. So, instead, practice a willingness to feel anxious. So, resist the urge to make these kind of big dramatic changes or kind of these big dramatic reactions to the feeling of of really trying to avoid or run away, Um, but rather move slowly through the fear wherever you are. So, have a seat, slow the car down, take a break. But ride this feeling out. Don't avoid it and run away. When we run away, we are ensuring that that is now the biggest fear of our life. But instead, we can slow ourselves down, provided we stay in it. So, patience perseveres. So, Heather, again, um, and I, I told you all, you new listeners, I, I try to be short, but I, it's impossible. It's just simply impossible. This is the length of the podcast. It's what's going to happen Buckle up, kids. It's only going to get worse from other things. So, But I think I've gotten to the end of this episode. So, um, Heather, I hope this was helpful for all you other listeners out there. I hope this discussion about panic and panic, uh, panic and anxiety and panic disorder has all been helpful. I'm sure I missed some stuff, but you know, there's only so much that I can pack into a, a, a one episode uh, without driving everybody incredibly bonkers. So thank you all for listening. I hope this was helpful. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for making it through that uh, unintentional long episode. Again, it's impossible for me to to speak quickly. Uh, Well, no, I speak very quickly. I just can't speak succinctly, but that's the way it is. Um, So thank you all for listening. Um, Again, if you have questions for future episode, if you want to share your own experiences with panic attack or panic disorder or what really worked for you, email me. I want to add these things to the list for other people to hear. Tell Heather what worked for you. Tell me what what worked for you because I love hearing new tools and techniques and things that worked for you. If stuff that I talked about didn't work for you, also let me know. And uh, I, I want to try to make this a resource for other folks. Now, if you have a question, again, go to fearcastpodcast.com uh, and you can uh, send me a question there. Now, if you like the show, please 
uh, go over to iTunes or wherever else you get your uh, your uh, podcasts. Like the show, write a review. It helps other people find it. Helps grow this community. Now I'm also now on Spotify, so you can find me there. Hopefully you're already there. If you are, write me a review. Give me a like or a thumbs up or a star or whatever it is over there. Um, also, if you if you want to check out my new practice and see what the website looks like, and I I, I have an article that I'll link to uh, um, uh, to this podcast page about panic disorder um, and panic attacks. And it's got a little bit more information there. So you can go over to, to calocd.com uh, and, and check me out. It would mean a lot. Uh, and by the way, I'm also over at Instagram at fearcastpodcast.com. Follow me there. I'm posting things periodically, and uh, it's super, super fun. All right, everybody. As always, remember that the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. Uh, if you have questions about getting started in therapy or need a little bit more support, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can find some uh, uh, information if you find help link. All right, everybody. Until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.